You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. So, but I do want to shift the focus on to Tom Thibodeau because I feel like the outlook on Tibbs has changed drastically over the past two weeks. So the coach was essentially seen to be on a scorching hot seat after they got just pummeled by the Mavs a couple of weekends ago. But the team has been playing really good basketball of late during his four-game stretch. He did make the drastic move to remove Derrick Rose and Cam Reddish from the rotation. He's added Deuce McBride to that rotation. We've seen the team's defense improve tremendously. So when you look at this four-game stretch and you see the adjustments Tibbs has made, I ask you, Tommy, do you feel like Tibbs' job should be safe now? Do you feel like they should kind of wait this thing out and kind of see if if, if he really is the guy that can, can continue forward with this team based on how they're playing right now? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, listen, it's it's you know, they're they're above five hundred. They're tied as as we're recording, they're tied for the sixth seed in the east. Um, that being said, they're you know, basically two games ahead of the the two and a half games ahead of the Bulls, which are the eleventh seed. Um, yeah. so there, there's, there's a fine line that they're walking here, but until they even, you know, get anywhere near that point, um, the way the roster is constructed, the way the front office has chosen to kind of go about things, um, and, and including keeping Tibbs going into the season, um, they really showed no interest in tanking, which is probably the direction, um, a lot of us would have preferred, you know, starting the season once they didn't get Donovan Mitchell, um, mm-hmm. you know, part was a Fournier while he still, you know, had a, had, had more value, um, see what you can get for Rose. You definitely explore the Randall market, um, but you know they're considering where they are, where they are now, and considering that there's you know kind of a lower echelon of teams that have kind of separated themselves in the brick for Vic Wembayana sweepstakes. You know you have the Magic, Hornets, Pistons, Spurs, and Rockets, all with eight wins or fewer. Um, right. Knicks were already fourteen and thirteen, so the chances of them, you know. Of the Knicks getting down in that, you know, assuming Brunson's healthy, um, unless you know were to miss an extended period, that that I guess would change things. But if you roll out a, a lineup with Brunson and, and Barrett and Randall, Grimes and Mitch every night, no matter what you do with the bench, no matter how many other young guys you want to play, um, it's just hard to see this team falling two game, you know, too too far below five hundred, um, where they would make a run at, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess the seventh the seventh worst record in the NBA, some along those yeah. lines. So if you're not going to be in that that really lower tier, and um, you know, like I said before. Tibbs is a win now coach. He's going to try to squeeze every win out of the roster. So um, it's it's clear that that's the, 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 the where they're headed. You know, the, their goal is to qualify for the play in or end or the playoff. Um, and and so until Tibbs does, you know, um, uh, you know, until they fall far back in the standings, I, I don't see it happening. And again, even at that point, it's something that we talked about one of our first pod episodes is Leon Rose is is fully cognizant of the fact that once Tibbs gets thrown overboard the next you know the next head on the stake outside the garden would would be Leon Rose so he's going to give Rose every opportunity to kind of uh you know make his way through the season and then probably reassess things you know three four months from now yeah I mean I think that that last point is a good one because you know when we were when I think it was uh, might have been Jake Fisher who did the report last year about like how the team views Tibbs and how much that, you know, the front office really likes him. And one of the reasons why is that he, quote, unquote, you know, takes the bullets in the press yes. conference, yes. Um, which was just 
it, that was that was that I incited so much rage in me when I thought that that was why they liked him and why they wanted to keep him around. But that is a real thing with this team. Um, I think that this is a real thing that he does go out there and he will answer questions regardless of how nonsensical some of his answers are, and that he does take those bullets for the for the front office. I think they like that. I think they like the fact that he is not a coach that's going to in uh you know embrace tanking because that's not the direction the front office is going. So I think in some ways he's a perfect match for I guess whatever vision, whatever that vision is that this team has. So yeah, I, I think right now with the way you look at the Eastern Conference, it just feels like to me that the Knicks won't ever really be out of it for this season now. Maybe I'll come back and I'll sound crazy in a couple of months. But just Let's give it a couple of weeks, but yeah. Right. But like when you think about like just the way the Eastern Conference is set up, like I mean, I think the six teams ahead of them are more talented than them, sure. Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Brooklyn, and Atlanta. Um, but then the teams you see that are in the mix in terms of the play-in, Indiana, I wouldn't say that they're more talented. They may, they may end up selling off some of the pieces that they have on their team that have them with their uh, winning record right now. Uh, Toronto, you know, they kind of were surprised last year. You know, do they maybe find a touch later this year, perhaps? But I don't know if I'd say that's an uberly talented, more talented team than the Knicks. I don't know what's wrong with Miami, but Miami typically finds a way to figure it out, but I don't know what's going on with them. There is something weird going for, First of all, the Raptors lost back-to-back games to the Magic. I, you know, I, I was yeah. of the belief that, you know, they'll uh, they'll figure it out, Fred Van Bleed and, and, and you know, Scotty Barnes, they, they, you know, well-coached team and, and all the other stuff. I, I, back-to-back losses to – I mean, if listen, if Tibbs had lost back-to-back games to Orlando uh, this oh, yeah. weekend, he'd probably be fired. You if know? Yeah, that day it would have been over. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and and same thing with the Heat. You know, Heat culture and all that stuff. You know, we all say, ah, they'll figure it out. Only a matter of time. They lost to the Spurs at home Saturday night. I mean, that's a that's – and, and they had just lost to the Pistons earlier that week. So we yeah. did two home games to the Pistons and the Spurs, two teams – hoping to lose as many games as possible. Miami's about to kick off a four-game road trip um, where they had they, they play the Pacers, then three games out west, um, you know, two games against the Spurs, the Rockets, so it's not your typical, you know, daunting West Coast road trip. But again, at this at this stage of the game, um, what is a winnable game for the, for the Heat? So, um, yes, to, you know, I, I agree with you. There's just, you know, the Bulls, we've got an up-close look at them the next uh, yeah. the, the, the next couple, they, you know, next, next next two games. They play in Chicago Wednesday night, in Chicago Friday night. Um, they are four games under 500. Just had a heartbreaker last night to Atlanta. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. But, yeah, of those teams, even the Hawks, you know, we talked about them last week on the pod that there's some funky stuff going on in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I don't see any of those teams running away, um, you know, with, uh, you know, kind of run away and hiding from the Knicks. I think they'll, all those teams will kind of hover around 500. I think there's a very clear delineation between the top of the East, the Celtics, Bucks, Cavs, and 76ers, and and the Nets. Those kind of yeah. five teams have, have separated themselves, and rightfully so. I think we all kind of envision that. And those teams really, I don't see any of the other teams in the conference so much as challenging them, pushing the five games or six games uh, in a playoff series. I think those guys are really the cream of the crop. Um, you know, again, assuming, you know, uh, Embiid stays healthy and Harden and, and Giannis and Tatum, yada, 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 all the qualifiers. But um, I think the Knicks will stick around 500. I think they'll stay around that 7, 8, 9, 10 area, uh, maybe get as high as 6, maybe slip as low as 7 over the next 11, over the next two months. Um, and for that, um, you know, Tibbs should be stick around, I would assume. Yeah. And as long as they're 
contending for a playoff spot with the way now we could argue should they want to be in that position of that seven to ten range trying to get to the playoffs. I would say probably not. But right. as long as they're in that position, I feel like Tibbs will be fine. I mean, before this wing streak, it really did look like the Knicks would be maybe out of here very quickly if they did not make some kind of move with the way you see the team is playing. It makes you wonder, like, for me, is this, you know, you know, we ask the question, like, is this winning streak real? It's like, I think it's complicated. It's like, they're winning the games, obviously. So, obviously, they are real. It's also obvious that, you know, De'Aaron Fox didn't play last night. It's also obvious that they pummeled a Hornets team that didn't have half their roster. Um, Jared Allen didn't play in the Cavs game. So, there are other things and other factors that definitely go into it. We know what happened to Hawks game, Murray going out. They didn't have Collins. But... What I want to see is the is the process of how they're winning these games sustainable or at the very least the right way you should go about playing basketball. That has been very encouraging, which I think is an encouraging sign for how this team is playing right now because the the main thing was the defense. It was the fact that they just were letting teams light them up at three-point line, and it started with the fact that they could not contain the ball. If you cannot contain the ball in this day and age in the NBA, you are dead on arrival. It doesn't matter what kind of scheme you have because – guards or any players just able to get into the paint and spray it out there every team has a lot of shooters except for the lakers so every team has shooters so it doesn't matter who you're playing you can play bad teams and they can let you up because yep. everybody has shooters if they're getting great looks um they're gonna they're gonna hurt you so the fact that the knicks are now playing now multiple guys who are plus defenders even when they play those better teams i think you'll see them put off put forward much better efforts and they'll win their fair share of games. Like I mentioned, we mentioned on the, on the last pod a couple of days ago that like they don't they really haven't beaten any good teams. Yeah, they can't beat these good teams because they can't stop anybody. But if they end up playing defense like this, they're going to lose a lot of those games still because they're not that talented. But they'll win their fair share because you're playing three plus defenders now. You're playing IQ, you're playing Grimes, and you're playing a McBride. That was the weird thing about Tibbs's reluctance to play McBride because McBride feels like such a Tibbs player. Like that's what that that's what never made sense to me. It was like Tibbs, you know, is supposed to be the defensive guru, the guy that, you know, everything begins and starts and ends with defense. And you have this guy who, yeah, we see his struggles in terms of shot making right now. But you see a guy who clearly is a big impact defensively. And it seemed like they he was coming up with every excuse not to play him. Like I'll never forget last season when they talked to him about hey why don't you try mcbride in there and his answer was well we can't play mcbride next to iq because we can't have a small backcourt defensively that will hurt us and then when he played mcbride and iq it turned out that was his best defensive backcourt of all the combinations he had last year and that's what's annoying when i hear these comments with him we talk about stats being line stats being you know you know they're they're not true or they're they're out of context and they say, you got to watch the film. But then when you try the things people are saying and it works, it works because the stats are justifying that it works. Like, I, I do not understand why he keeps going down this road. And I do want to play real quick because he did say something very interesting last week in regards to people, um, quote unquote, regurgitating stats and not watching the film. So I want to play this real quick for you guys. And then we'll talk about it on the back end. You know, like there's going to be ups and downs. Like sometimes you can look at, you know, a game and try to draw conclusions and you really, you know, like you could look at stats and, you know, you look at numbers and they don't really mean anything. It's 
I could tell the people that are, you know, regurgitating numbers and they haven't watched any of the film. And so when you look at it in totality, it gives you context of what happens on plays and what happens in a game. Like, I would be, I tweeted this, I would be embarrassed if, like, I was the guy who said, the film told me to start Alec Burks 44 games at point guard. Like, like I don't like he keeps he for some reason he keeps going back to that because uh, I guess somebody in that front office or somebody in that coaching staff is like showing him, hey, the fans are pointing to these numbers. That's why this guy should be starting or that guy should be starting. He's getting very frustrated because he feels like us fans don't know what the hell we're talking about. But then, like the decision he does makes that he says are based off of the film. Like I just again, I I would be embarrassed. Like I would be embarrassed to say, oh, the film told me to start the worst lineup, one of the worst lineups in the NBA last season for half of the season as my starting lineup. Like, I don't know what he's referring to when he keeps saying that the stats don't tell the whole story and these other people aren't watching film. It's like, okay, well, when you do watch the film, let's say you don't care about any numbers, you don't see your team's getting run off the gym with certain starting lineups. You don't see the impact that Deuce McBride has when you just watch the film. Let's say you don't watch any of the, uh, any of the stats. Like, that part of it is so annoying with Tibbs. And he always seems to do this when they finally start winning. When they're losing, he doesn't want to talk much. He he don't he don't want to talk about, you know, people not getting the right ideas or whatever. But when they start winning games, that's when he wants to get on his soapbox. And he acts like he came to these conclusions by himself and nobody else thought about this. When people have been calling for these changes he's made this season since last season. So a few things. Um, one... And now that the Knicks have won four games in a row, one of the things Tibbs talked at length about last night was effective field goal percentage, the mm-hmm. Knicks three-point percentage defense, um, Knicks defensive rating. So to buttress his argument that I was right, he's using the same numbers And you know, now that they're more favorable than folks that were, were complaining about before. Two, um, I actually, one of the comments in the preseason on media day, actually um, was it media day or the, or the first practice thereafter um, it was on media day. He talked about somebody asked him, Hey, are you going to play OB and Randall together at the yeah. four or five? And he said, no, you know, the numbers tell us that, um, you know, somebody asked, you know, he said no. And then somebody asked why, you know, that, you know, he said, all oh, the numbers tell us that they weren't overly effective. I happened to be covering the practice the following day. And I said to him, listen, here, the numbers stipulate that Randall's best plus minus of all players he played next to last season was actually um, Obi Toppin. And, you know, just kind of, you know, read the, basically read the numbers. You know, I had, a, I had, a little, yeah. I had my little notepad and I, 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 I said, this is the numbers, the, the, the plus minus, that two-man lineup, Obi Randall, et cetera, yada, yada. He, he basically, you know, he said, literally used the words. Um, I, I've watched the film. Some of you guys haven't. And then said, a lot of those are taken out of context because they were garbage time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's cool. All, all well and good. I, I appreciate right. the, the honest response. Um, that being said, and, and I think a lot of fa- some fans like will get mad when, oh, you guys take offense to it when he says that. I know that he he knows more than I do. You know, he's he's that's why he's a head coach and you're not. I'm not saying I'm smarter than the head coach. I wouldn't <laughs> pretend to ever claim Tom Thibodeau has forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know in my entire life. He spent a lifetime in and around the game. Um, you know, that being said, 
I watch a fair bit of basketball myself. I've made it my career the last 10 years. Um, yeah. I've watched a lot of games. I don't, I don't watch the film consistently. I don't watch nearly as much as Tibbs and his staff, but I still don't know nearly as much as Tibbs does because I, I haven't dedicated my life to it. And one team in particular likes Tibbs, like Tibbs has these last three years of the Knicks. That being said, there's still the possibility that someone might suggest something that could be beneficial for the team, whether that's playing McBride more or Randall and, and Obi together at the four and the five. And he, it, this, this, his reluctance to kind of accept any other point, um, to, you know, to come to the conclusion that the only way I'll make a change is if I see it on film. You know, okay, but then when McBride plays and McBride plays well and the team does well, to brush it off as to you know, and sort of insinuate that I came to this conclusion, um, irrelevant of facts to you know, to right. the case, um, you know, it rings a little hollow. Um, but again, it's a, you know, to be a coach in the NBA, to be that high position profile, you got to have a bit of an ego. Um, I guess it comes with the territory. The good news is he's kind of done the right thing, whether that's management's insistence that he right. remove his buddy Rose from the lineup. Um, or, you know, take Fournier out, out of the lineup, whatever the case is, um, it, it, it's good that it's here. And one last thing on yeah. the on the Burks issue from last season. Again, Alex Burks, a 30-year-old shooting guard, started the first 22 games after the All-Star break at point guard for a Knicks team that was 11 games under 500 in early March. Okay, we know what happened. You know that that happened. That's that's the reality of the situation. Now McBride is playing. The the irksome factor when I think back is what if McBride had played the twenty plus minutes a game he's playing now, and right. instead of Alex Burke, who player will never be part of the franchise again, you know had been benched. Might McBride's trade value been increased by 7%, 15%, 25%? And might that have increased the possibility of Danny Ainge accepting a trade? You know, might he accepted a top five protection on the 2027 draft pick? If we include Miles McBride, you know, that's where things, you know, you can't ignore the reality of of delaying this this insertion of McBride in the lineup that did have detrimental consequences from from last year so that's something that also should be noted when we're discussing the big picture yeah and would McBride be a better player for the Knicks today had he been playing the time he's been playing last year let's say he's not in the trade like what if he's getting valuable experience whatever yips he's getting with the jump shot Yes. He gets that out of the way. Yes. Maybe he comes into the season and he's a more advanced player because he's getting real time. You're not wasting your time with Alec Burks. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Tibbs, I, I get on him a lot. Some people probably feel like it's harsh. I think he's made the right adjustments for most of this season. I, I don't like the way he coaches in-game. I feel like he doesn't make adjustments in-game very well. But in terms of, like, seeing the tea leaves, seeing how things are going, and then making, you know, kind of big moves, taking Fournier out of the rotation – you know, he eventually took Rose out of the rotation. All that was, you know, those rules were good moves. I just wish that, uh, one, he wouldn't be so, like, I don't know, this, this weird energy he's got with the, uh, the the people who don't watch film. Um, and, I, and I wish he, he would he would kind of take ownership with some of the mistakes that he had made.